Well, we come to another Christmas message, don't we? And every single year we have Christmas. It rolls around almost like once a year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a, as a preacher, as, as a pastor, I'm not alone in every year preparing a new message for Christmas. When my dad has been a pastor for over 30 years, and so he's done well more than 30 Christmas messages. I remember one year he did a Christmas Advent series where it started five weeks before Christmas. I'm like, that's five Christmas messages. That's ridiculous because it's hard enough to do one. Like really, it really is hard. And so today all over, all over the world there are going to be people preaching Christmas messages and if you're like me and you've been in church since you were born, you've heard them all. There's nothing new. Nothing's been added to the story of Christmas. It, it is the same. It has been for a long time. But today, I trust what will be the case for us today is that we will have this, this fresh look at when hope came down. To, to fully appreciate that when we are sitting around with our family and, and enjoying Christmas Day, there'd be something inside of us that acknowledges at least the real truth that Jesus Christ came as a baby and that was an amazing circumstance in which that occurred. And so those amazing circumstances are what I want to look at today from the Gospel of Luke. And so we've just had a reading from the Gospel of Luke from the start of the book, which sort of you think, hold on, why on earth were you telling me about John the Baptist at Christmas? You know, this baby John. But in verse 26 of chapter 1 of Luke, we actually start the Christmas story with Mary. And Mary and Jesus and John, and they're all intertwined at the start and they're all intertwined towards the end as well. There's a particular purpose that John had, which we heard from the Bible reading earlier. And so join with me, uh, verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. It's a pretty amazing promise given by an angel, isn't it, to, to Mary, to a mother. What I found very interesting is the name that the angel Gabriel gives when referring to this baby. And he, he gives the Son of the Most High. That's the name, the Son of the Most High. And this is really significant because we read in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, that Melchizedek, the king of Salem, he identifies Yahweh as God most high. 
And so right from the start of Genesis, we have this idea that God is God most high and then here we see that Jesus is called Son of the Most High. This is also repeated in Numbers where God is identified as Most High and it became a common title for the Lord amongst the Israelites, especially in the Psalms. And in the book of Daniel, it's also the preferred title for God that both Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar use. You know, and later in this chapter of, 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 John, of Luke, we see that John the Baptist is actually called the prophet of the Most High. And that's in verse 76. But Jesus is the Son of the Most High. He is the promised successor to the throne of David. Now, I've been watching a series on Netflix called The Crown, and I'm not sure if anyone else has seen this. It's sort of pretty good. And uh, it, it follows the life of the royal family, um, a story I'm not very familiar with in Australia, even though the Queen is our monarch. Um, I quite enjoyed it going right back to the very early days of how Queen Elizabeth came to be Queen Elizabeth. Um, you know, it, it's probably a little bit fiction mixed with truth. I'm sure there's, there's a crossover there somewhere, so it was interesting for me anyway. But I think in Australia we sort of lose the idea and the understanding of what it means to have a crown. Because in Australia, anyone that places themselves above anybody else, we want to just chop back down to the same as us, right? That's just how we do it. You know, we don't celebrate in people's, you know, success or their, their goodness. We just chop them back down and make them the same as us, apparently. And, and we sort of lose the, the royal lineage culture. The house of Windsor is what the crown follows. You know, this is the house of David that we're following in the book of Luke. And the Israelites, when they were taken into captivity from the Babylonians as God's judgment for their infidelity, God's promises didn't disappear with their captivity. They remained true. His promise to David that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever was not a lie. The nation of Israel did not forget either. Just like a royal wedding stirs up a lot of interest in England and apparently around the world too, the nation of Israel was eagerly awaiting their king. And to bring that king to earth, God chose Mary to bring him into the world. And I'm sure that if you were a, a young girl and you had an angel come to you, you'd be saying something similar to what Mary said in verse 34. How will this be? How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I love that. Man, if an angel tells you this, you listen. No word of God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. See, Mary assumes that she will conceive while still a virgin. And yes, indeed, a great miracle of the Holy Spirit occurred. And it's important to note that this was a miracle of the Holy Spirit. It was not Joseph or anyone else who made this happen. Mary was still a virgin when she had Jesus. 
and this is important for, not for Mary, is important for Jesus. You see, Jesus' holiness derives from him being conceived of the Holy Spirit and as such, though he was a genuine human being, he did not inherit a sinful nature and disposition from Adam as we all have. That's a very important distinction to make about Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin and did not inherit Adam's sinful nature as such. Very important. And I love that Mary shows a a great example here of discipleship. She accepts and follows in submission to God's word and promise. That's an outstanding example for all. Where God spoke, she did. Mary then visits Elizabeth and uh, Elizabeth's baby leaps in her womb. And Elizabeth is filled, it says, with the Holy Spirit. And interestingly, this is the first time a person in the New Testament is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Elizabeth and Mary, they both praise the Lord and give thanks to God for being chosen as vessels of blessing. And most notably, Mary is blessed for her faithfulness and abundantly blessed by the privilege of bearing the Son of God. And then from verse 57 of chapter 1, we see that John the Baptist is born And uh, true to the angel's promise, Zechariah, he has not spoken or heard anything since that time in the temple where he conversed with the angel. Now Elizabeth's baby, according to family tradition, was supposed to be named after dad. So it was supposed to be Zechariah. But Elizabeth said, no, I want this baby to be called John. So she's telling the people around them the name's John. So they go, oh, no, 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 no. Elizabeth, you don't understand. That's not how things are done here. No, no. It's supposed to be Zechariah. We'll go check with Zechariah. So they go and check with Zechariah, right, who, who is not in this conversation. He cannot speak and he cannot hear. So he would not have heard or seen what Mary, uh, what Elizabeth had chosen as the name. And so he writes down on his iPad, John. And they, so the name is confirmed. I might have taken some license with the iPad thing. Um, but he writes down on this tablet thing. It's still the same, you know. The first, Moses had the first iPad. You know, God gave him, you know, downloaded from the cloud on tablets. Yeah. Um, that's beside the point. So John is the name. And at that moment when Zechariah confirms that the name is John, his mouth and ears are opened and he speaks. And the first thing he says, I love this, is not, oh, thank goodness. Well, pretty much is actually. Um, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. The first words that God's 
servant here, Zechariah, who was a temple of the priest who had met with an angel, the first words he gives is actually prophecies over his son. And it's amazing what he says, what can be spoken into a son and what comes to pass over those words. The child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. And later in the book of Luke we see that in the, indeed this is exactly what John the Baptist does. He fulfills what was prophesied over him by his father through the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes and prepares a way for Jesus. Chapter 2 of Luke begins with a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. It's pretty cool, you know, you're a commander of the world. Okay, everyone, you should all be registered. So, so, so go and do that. Uh, and this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is the precise moment when hope came down. And this account is so matter-of-fact and so brief for such a momentous occasion that this was. I'm sure that if Luke was actually a screenwriter like we have today, then this account would be far more detailed, would have been filled with all sorts of superfluous information. But, but what this simplicity does for us is it gives us space to appreciate this moment. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. While in Bethlehem she gave birth. The greatest miracle in the history of the world, the eternal Son of God being born as a man, happens quietly in a stable cave in an obscure village in Judea. But as restrained as Luke's account of the birth of Jesus is, God could not let this moment go without people being told and without there being great celebration. You know, I love the dichotomy that's here between Luke's and he was born, son, move on, and then what God does. Verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Now this would have been an amazing sight. Just, just, just try and think in your mind what this is, what is happening. So it's just you and the stars above and a few sheep. Meh! Bit of bleating in the distance. Meh! Then the glory of the Lord shines around them as this angel appears. Now I wonder what this must have looked like. Was it like an aurora event? What, what, what was it colours dancing in the night sky? Or was it like what we've seen already in Scripture? 
a bright white cloud or fire like what Moses experienced or just pure light. You know, we see in other parts of the Bible these same manifestations of God's glory. They're in clouds, they're in light, they're in fire. I can tell you one thing. These shepherds who had pretty much seen everything whilst they were looking after their flock, they had not seen this. I can guarantee you they had not seen this before and no wonder they were terrified. It was the middle of the night and all of a sudden a bright light, the glory of the Lord is shining all around. That is weird. I reckon that you know, it was the first like alien abduction story. You know, that's probably the roots of this. These bright lights shining in the desert. You know, we've heard of those things before. But it's actually an angel here. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in this town, the day in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be signed to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. So what I find amazing is when you look at the word, at the Greek word here used for the good news, it is the gospel. It's the same word, it's the gospel. So what this angel is saying is, do not be afraid. I bring you the gospel. I bring you the good news. I bring you the gospel that will cause great joy for everyone. This gospel has been born today, the Messiah, the Lord. And did you know that Christ is actually the Greek translation of the word Messiah? So Christ is actually a title rather than a name. This Christ, this Messiah, this Saviour of the world is your Saviour. Go look and see for yourselves. You'll find him wrapped in clothes and cloths, lying in a manger. But God's show is not over yet. Because suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. So these shepherds get this amazing news and all of a sudden thousands upon thousands of angels appear singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace, is, as Hebrews points out, peace to those with faith. Can you imagine this sight? I mean, what I would give to listen to that choir. Thousands upon thousands of angels. It must have been one of the most amazing experiences that these shepherds had ever had. As these angels proclaimed the news about Jesus, the eternal, omnipotent Son of God who had just taken form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, as Philippians 2.7 tells us. For the fullness of time has now come and God has sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, as Galatians 4 tells us. The peace of salvation that God gives through his son Jesus, the prince of peace, as prophesied by Isaiah, for all humanity who by faith accept God's greatest gift and become people with whom God is pleased to call himself. This is Christ. 
This is Messiah. This is the Saviour of the world. This is why hope came down. And so, of course, the shepherds go and see for themselves. How could you not after such an amazing cosmic concert? So they hurried and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, who was named Jesus, the name the angels had given him before he was conceived. The shepherds are amazing. See, they were just ordinary people. They went to see if their cosmic concert was just a dream or if it really was true. They find Jesus right where they were told they would find him. And what was their response? Well, from the very first day, as soon as people met Jesus, people have been telling other people about Jesus. These shepherds spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Then what they had done? They went home. They returned to their sheep back to their normal lives, yet the Bible tells us they praised and glorified God for all the things they had seen and heard. Their lives were changed forever because they met Jesus. Isn't this our story as well? We might not have had an angelic host of thousands singing the sky for us. We might not have had the glory of the Lord shining all around us. But when we met Jesus, our lives changed forever. And our response, I'm sure, was the same too. We praised and glorified God for what he had done for us and the work of Christ on the cross, our Saviour. And I'm sure that we told other people about it too. How long ago was that for us? Many of us have been Christians for decades. I won't get people to raise hands. Being a follower of Jesus, for many of us, is fully integrated into who we are. It's a normal reality for us. But you know what? That normal reality of ours is not the normal reality for the majority of our population. There are people in our community who don't even know that Jesus is a real person that he is the Son of God, that he is the Saviour of the world and that he is the bringer of hope. Our normal reality is not their normal reality. And because for us it is our normal reality, we sometimes lose the wonder and the awe of what it means to meet Jesus. And we lose the importance and the urgency that there is for other people to meet Jesus. Because without Jesus, we know their destiny. Without Jesus, people are destined to an eternity separated from God 
and what the Bible calls hell or Hades? And doesn't that reality break your heart for these people whom you know and whom you love? I'm so saddened by that reality on one hand. But on the other hand, I am so motivated to bring hope to them, to bring them the hope of the gospel. I'm so motivated by the urgency that exists for our community to be introduced to the hope of the gospel. Like these shepherds, they could not contain within themselves the hope that they received from the angels about this person called Jesus. They immediately told everyone about him. And when they returned to their sheep, to their regular, ordinary lives like we all live, they were forever changed and brought praise and glory to God. This Jesus that came to us in miraculous circumstances is the Son of the Most High God. He is the bringer of hope. He is our salvation, our Messiah, our Christ. And as his followers, it is our duty as bearers of that hope to be sharers of that hope. The Christmas is a time where we remember that hope came down for us. Hope walked amongst us. Hope taught us. Hope died for us. Hope rose for us. Hope ascended for us. And hope remains in us. And as bearers of that hope, we are called to be sharers of that hope. And so this Christmas, in the midst of the busyness, make time to share the hope that you have in Jesus, the Christ the saviour of the world. And who knows? Maybe as you introduce people to Jesus, you too might get a glimpse into heaven of the thousands upon thousands of angels rejoicing and celebrating at someone who is saved just like what the shepherds saw. And so today I want each of us here to make a simple commitment. I will share the hope of the gospel, the good news of Jesus with someone this Christmas. It might be a friend. It might be that weird uncle that sort of pops up at Christmas and that's about all we ever see him. It might be your kids. It might be your grandkids. You know, I reckon that Christmas is the perfect time for this because regardless of what people might believe themselves, I reckon it's a perfect time to share about Jesus. After all, Jesus is the reason for the season. That's why hope came down. And if ever there was an opportunity to share about that hope that we have in Jesus, surely Christmas is our in. You know, if you're meeting up with family over Christmas and they don't know Jesus, I reckon you've got a license. It's Christmas. Share about the greatest gift as you're giving them a physical gift. Take the opportunities that we are presented with at Christmas and I don't reckon people will be sad about it. I don't reckon people will get offended by it. You know, they might go, yeah, yeah, maybe you're just that weird uncle. But share the hope of Christmas with others. The story of when hope came down is what you see everywhere. 
I mean, last night we were out looking at all the Christmas lights everywhere. And it was really good to see nativities out. It's not lost on our world. People who could be the most secular of all putting up Christmas lights, they still include a nativity. And it must be popular because I even saw inflatable nativity scenes. So if, they were, if it wasn't popular and if it wasn't still part of Christmas, shops wouldn't be able to sell them, would they? And then they wouldn't bring them out, would they? Because if they don't sell, they don't get rebought next year. So the story of Jesus is still an integral part of Christmas for our community, for our society. I mean, we had over 3,000 people at the Carols by Candlelight here in Wangaratta. They were singing carols. And what were they singing? They were singing carols about Jesus Christ. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to a newborn king. Maybe God is calling you to, to be that person that helps bring them hope for those that don't know it at Christmas. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christmas is a time where we do get to celebrate that hope came down. Hope came down as a baby. Hope walked amongst us. Hope taught us. Hope died for us. Hope rose for us. Hope ascended for us. And hope remains in us. So this Christmas, Lord, would you help us to share the hope of Christmas with others. To share the hope of the gospel, the good news that Christ has come to save us, that the greatest gift anyone could ever receive is the gift of faith in Jesus Christ, the gift of the gospel. So Lord, may we share and give that gift to people at Christmas this year. May you give us the opportunities to have those quiet moments of conversation with our kids or grandkids or uncles or aunties or family, cousins, even that weird uncle. May you give us those moments to be sharers of hope. And Lord, may you be glorified through people coming to a saving faith in you at this time of Christmas. So may you be praised and glorified and may you protect us as well. Protect our roads, make them safe. Protect our families, keep them safe. And Lord, we just want to praise you today. We want to sing about the joy there is that we have in you. Our hearts are full of gratitude for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, for your forgiveness and for the hope that we have in you. So Lord, may you send us out from this place this morning full of joy because hope came down. In your name we pray. Amen.